This is Global Ambitions, your 15-minute window into the minds of localization and international go-to-market experts. Discover how they respond to their biggest challenges. Here's today's host. Hi, I'm Antoine Ray, and I will be your host today for this Global Ambition podcast episode. And my guest today is Jenny Kang, Director of Globalization at Veritas. The topic today is transforming internationalization in an enterprise software company. Jenny, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Can you give us a very, very quickly a bit of background on you and your career at Veritas and in localization in general? Sure. I've been in this industry for about roughly 20 years and been in this company, Veritas, about five years. And Veritas used to be part of Symantec, so altogether Symantec and Veritas about 16 years in this company. So I manage a team of uh, globalization that consists of internationalization and localization uh, services. We're a centralized organization, slightly different funding model, but we service more than product organizations. So we work with uh, legal, HR, marketing, all the teams inside the company. Okay, a very central function in this case. And tell me, because today our topic is around internationalization. And when someone joins an organization like Veritas, you know, or in general as a localization uh, manager, they don't think that they have to work with engineers as much as they actually have to do. So can you tell us maybe how did that work out for you and who owns internationalization at Veritas? Yes, at this point, internationalization ownership is with the product development teams. So they own the quality and as well as testing of international, you know, the internationalized uh, software. Now, when I used to manage a team back in Symantec time, when we used to be Symantec, we had a pretty large organization that had internationalization developers and testers doing all that work for the product teams. We had, you know, some around six, seven developers who's going in and fixing a bunch of bugs in the product that we acquired because back in Symantec, we used to acquire almost four uh, companies per year. So we had a lot of companies that we bought that were immature. They had to get into international market right away. So we were doing a lot of hands-on job there and we got out and then moved on to other products to, to retrofit those. Now, downside with that was the fact that the you know old habits don't die. So as soon as we get out of it, the product teams go right back to their old habits of right. hard coding strings and all that issues uh, continue to come up. So. That was one of the more fundamental problems. And what we ended up doing toward the end of Symantec time, where we were about to separate into two companies, that we ran this major initiative to have the ownership of internationalization moving back to product teams, meaning they would do all the uh, best practices to code and design the product in a way that supports the global market, but also to test them and everything be ready before uh, they hand off the localization team, while we continue to support with our coaches and internationalization services to help them with the trainings and any support that they need. And I presume that was to help as well influencing the engineering team to enable internationalization closer directly to the product. But what are the key factors that you needed to mandate, you know, and influence those teams? Yeah, so I think there are several different factors in play. And I would say three critical elements are technology and process and people. So when I say technology, 
um, we can't just expect product teams to carve out their time every day to retrofit and test the product. So we need to have mechanism to let them know where they are in terms of internationalization readiness. For that, we have this assessment tool that we work with every new product teams to have them self-assess. It's a sort of a questionnaire, a survey tool to go through all the elements of where they are in terms of internationalization readiness. And so we come out with the scores for each one of the products where they are and where they're weak and have more gaps to close in terms of the, the readiness. So that part of it is, is, a, is one of the critical elements in the concept phase, in the beginning phase of the product development cycle. And we also have in-house built uh, code scanning tools called GoldenEye that scans through the code and looking for hardcode strings, any character corruptions, and anything that will come up as issues from the product development standpoint. So they can actually integrate this into their process to run that th across their code to, to look for issues and fix problems in early in the, in, the, in the phase. And another thing that we do also is a test automation that we have a set of libraries and tools that they can integrate into their test framework to you know, test for internationalization issues before they hand off to localization team. So that there are a couple of different tools and technology aspect that is critical. And the second factor I mentioned was a process. When I say process, it also includes standards because it's very important to set standards for the company where you need to be if you're building a new code, new features and new products, or if we're acquiring any companies, what is the Veritas it requires in terms of the compliance level for the internationalization. So we have a four different levels of internationalization where we require all the product teams to be at a certain level that includes localizability enablement. So that's, uh, that's one part of the process that we inquire uh, the product teams to comply with. And then we also have this champion sponsor system where we work with a senior executive in a given product organizations, have them be the sponsor for the internationalization and globalization, and then they can nominate or have someone in their team to volunteer to be a champion, to be sort of the point of person for our coaches to work with in terms of the trainings and where they need any support, any questions they have as they're going through design and code coding and testing phase of their product development cycle. So that's the process that, that's been working pretty well to start from top, but also we need to go to the bottom of the organization to make sure the work gets done. So the champion sponsor program has been working quite well. And the people aspect, the third aspect that I mentioned, obviously with all the technologies and standards and process in place, we still need people buy-in. So senior sponsors, executives who need to have this sort of, uh, in a way, mandate, right? Uh, making sure that the their engineering teams are following best practices. So we need the sponsorship at the highest level as possible. And we also have the company-wide newsletters that go out, uh, the globalization newsletters that go out that publishes the scores and the risk levels of the, each product to sort of uh, let them know where they are and what they need to work on in terms of closing the gaps to get into the global market. And we also need to train, you know, the new hires and all these new uh, product teams to make sure that they follow their best practices. That's also people aspect of it. Right. 
So that, that's why I was going to ask next, like, because you seem to have all uh, aspects covered from technology, processes and people. And what kind of best practice do you evangelize and coach? And it seems like you have some sort of an awareness and education program for new engineers or existing engineers. Yeah, so we do. So utilizing this champion senior sponsorship program that we work very closely with each teams to understand their needs and put together customized trainings side by side you know trainings whichever way that they need to get to a certain level so there's a one aspect of knowledge not knowing what to do to make it possible and then there's another thing about awareness oh i didn't know we had to think about it right so i think different levels of training it's not just about how to follow best practices from engineering standpoint, but also we need to educate and work with the product managers who own the product and requirements to make sure that the requirements get in and then you know the engineers are following the requirements that are put together by the product owners as well. So I think that's there's a different aspect of it. And that's one of the reasons why we work also very closely with the product lifecycle. Um, the program management teams to make sure that all the major checkpoints, whether it's a concept or deliver, delivery checkpoints, that internationalization, localization, that globalization requirements and the stakeholders are signing off on that to make sure that they have followed up their requirements and deliverables. But it's, it's, it's not always working the way that we want. And this is one of those ongoing efforts that we continue to educate, train and evangelize and promote. I bet, I bet it is. And do, do you provide like a, some sort of a scoring mechanism for the different teams there? Yes, we do. So the two things that we're publishing is one is internationalization levels. Levels means where they are in terms of enablement. So level zero means you have a product that doesn't function outside US and level one, you can use English product outside US, but it doesn't have a localizability support yet. And level two means it's a fully localizable, uh, supports all the character sets and everything. So you can actually sell the product, localized product anywhere in the world. And level three is uh, in addition to that, there's a bi-directional localizability support. So we set the level two as a standard level for across the company. So this is where you have to get. So that level gets published. And then the second thing that gets published. Well, will you publish them? Yes, we publish them. And then another thing that we publish is also the scores that come out of this self-assessment tool that I mentioned, the global readiness scorecard that we work with the product teams to generate the scores and that scores also get generated, charts get published on the newsletter as well. And I think there's a little bit of competition going on and that also is uh, triggering the good support from the senior leadership team because they don't want to have lower score than others. Right. And are best practice ever not followed for whatever reason? Oh, yes. Best practice is not <laughs> followed every day, everywhere uh, <laughs> for many different reasons. I think, you know, there there has been some exceptions in terms of certain products not you know following best practices from the get go there are a few cases where they're trying to come up with the prototypes to test the market and they're not sure if they're going to productize any any of that so in that case we sometimes give them exceptions but there are many plenty of other cases where they have we call it excuses, but they have reasons, various reasons in terms of why they have to defer this because there's no customers 
uh, immediately asking for this, asking for this outside U.S. and uh, there's a not immediate business opportunity. So a lot of that is driven in our company by product management in terms of what needs to, you know, where the engineering resources need to be spent in any given iterations sprint. Right. So I think that's where a lot of uh, challenges are: is that it's not just the engineering best practices that we can push for, but also we have to go talk to business owners to make sure that. We're aligned. So there are a lot of back and forth. It's sort of a broken record that we have to go and educate and evangelize and have that conversation all the time because they don't understand the additional amount of effort that needs to be, you know, going in to be able to retrofit uh, down the road. We had this a product where, you know, the database was not enabled to handle non-ASCII characters and that had lost a lot of international revenue opportunities, it would have taken them only about three, four days to make that possible. Whereas it took them almost, I think, a year and a half with three major releases to address all that and migrate all the database to comply with that. So we're just, you know, trying to quantify a lot of those lost revenue opportunities and trying to link that to business aspect of it, not to just stick to this is what you need to do as, as an engineer. It doesn't sometimes, you know, oftentimes it doesn't work. So what we're trying to do is to have them see the opportunities that might be coming up because localization requirements are not something that, you know, it that sort of uh, sits in the pipeline and comes slowly. It right. just uh, pops up, um, right? So we're just trying to make sure that we get the products ready when the opportunities come up. But a lot of times we do have a challenges and excuses and problems right. come up, and that's why we are here to help the teams. You, you and everyone else, I presume. But it's good. It seems that you have a strong kind of a support infrastructure that really helps everyone, and I presume that works for both legacy and new products as well, right? Absolutely. Yes. I think new products are, are, are critical because it's opportunity for them to do the right thing from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Right. Very good. Well, Jenny, we're coming to the end of our session. I'd like to really thank you for participating in this uh, Global Ambition podcast. I'm sure this will be very interesting to our listeners that are facing similar challenges in internationalization. So thanks very much. Thank you. It was very fun. Thanks for tuning in to Global Ambitions. Subscribe at globalambitions.net or wherever you get your podcasts.